Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. So right now, the relationship between Fox News and Donald Trump is what? On very shaky ground, I'd say there is not much love between Rupert Murdoch and Donald Trump these days. But they always come back together, don't they? Yeah, and they're still doing, or at least Rupert's still doing Trump's bidding. But there's no amount of propaganda that Fox News can peddle that uh, will be sufficient for Donald Trump. He always wants more. Hmm. And I think that's what you're seeing right now with him. Uh, bashing the network, even though it continues to traffic in dishonest rhetoric aimed at protecting him from these four indictments he's faced this summer. That is Oliver Darcy, CNN's senior media reporter, an expert in all things right-wing media. We're also joined by Sarah Ellison, a Vanity Fair alum, now a national enterprise reporter at The Washington Post, out with two new stories about Fox, Trump, and Murdoch. And I'm Brian Stelter. Welcome to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Today, we're going inside Fox and Trump, this twisted, distorted relationship that influences American politics. We're taping this episode on Wednesday, August 23rd, the day of the first GOP debate of the season. It is the debate on Fox News, but not with Donald Trump. As you know, Trump snubbing the debate, snubbing Fox, punishing them for, as you said, Oliver, insufficient loyalty. It's hard to imagine. So, Sarah, same question to you as I asked Oliver. How would you describe what this relationship is like right now? The idea that Trump would be dissatisfied with Fox at this moment when they are giving him so much free airtime is maybe, you know, it's it's not surprising because I do think he wants a lot of genuflecting all the time. Um, but Clearly, what Donald Trump sees is that the management of Fox News and the Murdochs would rather he disappear. And yet he still has these relationships with individual hosts and on-air talent that keep inviting him back on. And they just can't they can't quit him. They can't give up their tortured relationship with Trump as much as they might want to. And, and to be clear, you, you believe they do want to, right? That, that in 2021, these messages from Rupert Murdoch came out that said, we're making Trump a non-person. He said that right after January 6th. You know, he said under oath to the Dominion lawyers that he, he still wanted to do that as of early 2023. So you're taking from that, there, there really is an attempt to make Trump no longer the leader of the GOP. But it's failing. 
It hasn't stuck yet. Um, I mean, we're very <laughs> early in this. We're very, very early in this campaign. And I do think it's worth noting that Donald Trump's entire strategy for his campaign is to make himself seem inevitable. And so I think he's also with this debate, he's trying to stick it to Fox, but he also doesn't want to. There, there's only downside for him to appear on stage with people who might get under his skin or who can point out to you know his flaws or his his weaknesses. So this is just, in some ways, it's a cowardly move for him to not appear on stage with other candidates. But he gets to sort of play this game where he yeah. and and Tucker Carlson, who are now, both of them are now enemies of Fox purportedly. I mean, Tucker really is um, on the outs with Fox. They get to sort of pretend like they're going to try to upstage this debate. Well, and that's the thing, right, Oliver? I think Trump succeeded in making this debate a lot less important. He succeeded in counter-programming by taping an interview with Tucker Carlson a week ahead of time and then having Tucker release that interview on Twitter at the same moment the debate started. He he has succeeded in seeming to be bigger than Fox and bigger than the debate. And I'm not sure at this point we can say that Trump needs Fox more than Fox needs Trump. And I think Trump's actually— This has always been the debate, right? This is—you and I at CNN for years together, we would always talk about who needs who more. Right. And there was a while where it seemed like Trump needed Fox a lot more. You're saying that's no longer true? I'm saying that it's clear the Murdochs don't want to support Trump. I mean, I I had some reporting that Lachlan Murdoch freely criticizes uh, Trump in private. He he didn't believe that his— run for office would be beneficial for the country, but he has also acknowledged to people in private that the Fox audience really likes Donald Trump. And so I think that's what you're seeing now. Rupert Murdoch, obviously not a big fan of Donald Trump. Lachlan, not a fan of Donald Trump, but they can't needle him publicly. They can't make the coverage on Fox News reflect that because their entire business would collapse. And I think at this point, it shows that, you know, Donald Trump needs Fox a lot less than Fox needs uh, Donald Trump. Without Donald Trump, mm. if Fox News were to turn on Donald Trump, they wouldn't have much of a network left. All their viewers would just flee to Newsmax because they're not actually interested at this point really in the news. They're interested in Donald Trump propaganda. And that's what Fox News has to feed the audience or else they'll leave. So thus we see moments like this on Fox and Friends. Here are the hosts basically imploring, you might even say begging Trump to attend the debate. Don't you want him to do it? Because yeah, look, I course. know he's angry at everything that the that he feels the, this administration or the Democrats, the DOJ, have put him through. But don't take it out on the Republicans, because Republicans want to see him up on stage. And don't take the voters for granted. Yes, right. he is ahead by a lot. But to see him up there on the stage would just be wonderful, because we want to see how they interact. We want to hear their policies. That's how he became Donald Absolutely. Trump the first time. Uh, he, he made it entertaining. He blew everybody away at the he first and Fox debate. Ah, the first Fox debate, 2015, 24 million viewers tuned in, mostly because Trump was center stage, uh, insulting Megyn Kelly and batting the other candidates around like little playthings. Sarah, do you think it's fair to say that, you know, the Fox world, Rupert world, Murdoch world, they kind of long for those good old days (laughs) before Trump actually won the election and before everything went to hell? Absolutely. I mean... (laughs) When you talk to people inside Fox, they know they're not going to get the ratings that they got for that debate back in 2015. And actually, that's the moment when it was a long time ago. Roger Ailes was still alive. Donald Trump was a fresh face on the political scene. And that was the first time that Fox realized 
that Trump was winning against their audience. Their audience was choosing Donald Trump over Megyn Kelly. When he insulted Megyn Kelly and and those two got in a fight, Fox tried to back Megyn Kelly sort of weakly, and the audience sided with Trump. I mean, that really shook Roger Ailes. It shook Rupert Murdoch. And they realized that they had a real formidable foe that they were going to have to grapple with in a way that no one had been able to, no one else had been able to put them on their heels like that. And that was sort of the beginning of this kind of dance between these two entities that, I mean, so they, they got in bed with Trump for the, obviously for the four years of his presidency. And the one time that they kind of tried to tell the truth about the election after 2020, their audience fled in droves. So I think they don't want a repeat of that. You know, he's cost them three quarters of a billion dollars and they still can't quite turn away. Yeah. And to your point about 2020, the Arizona call, the smears against Dominion, the resulting lawsuits. Oliver, I think Fox has tried to use this debate, uh, you know, which took, you know, we're taping this on Wednesday, but y'all are listening to it after the debates happened. You know, it's basically like a runner up debate. It's a VP debate. Right. <laughs> what did what did uh, what did your colleague Andrew Kaczynski at CNN say, Oliver? He said, like, this debate feels like a weird spinoff TV show that, you know, is going to get canceled. <laughs> right, and Ryan, well, well, it's like the debates back in 2016 when there were too many people on stage and they had the little B-list debates. Oh, remember, geez, remember that? Two different and the debates. A-list debates. Remember those? <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. It's like, okay, yeah. we'll watch the other, the B-list candidates debate tonight. Right. But I just want to point out Fox has tried to use this debate uh, in order to boost its news credentials, in order to say, you know, Dominion, that's in the past. All the, the lies and propaganda are behind us. We we paid our debt. You know, they've paid almost $900 million in legal costs in the last year. That's in the past. And Oliver, I know from reading your Reliable Sources newsletter, you don't buy that. No, I mean, it's ridiculous. Look, they they only settled this lawsuit a few months ago. They have another massive, even bigger lawsuit in Smartmatic still in the works. They've never apologized for the dishonest coverage that they fed their audience back in 2020. The head of the company, Suzanne Scott, and the president, Jay Wallace, are still in place. I mean, they they might want to move on. I know Martha McCallum ridiculously said that the, the settlement was ancient history in one of these uh, interviews that she did promoting the debate. But the fact is that um, this is not ancient history. I mean, the, the ramifications are still being felt today. Donald Trump's still denying the election. Most of the Republican Party, thanks to a lot of Fox's coverage, doesn't believe the 2020 results were legitimate. And so we're still dealing and grappling with uh, the effects and the consequences of the pro-Trump propaganda that they willfully uh pushed into the public consciousness back in 2020. I think what is frustrating, Brian, is seeing a lot of news organizations willfully participate in this rehabilitation tour uh, of Fox News, not um, pointing out a lot of the revelations that were exposed to the public as a result of that uh, that big lawsuit from Dominion. And um, I know that Fox News obviously wants to sell this as a debate that moves past Dominion. But news organizations, I think, should remind people that they have been exposed, not as a news network, but as a as a propaganda machine. And I know that's uncomfortable to say. I know it might even sound a little bit ridiculous, like the U.S. has this propaganda machine um, on air at any given time. Your neighbors are watching it. Your family might watch it. 
Um, but it's true. And if it wasn't in the U.S., it would be very obvious to news organizations in this country. It wouldn't be up for debate. But because I think that uh, some news executives, some journalists are stuck 10 years ago when maybe Shep Smith was on air, maybe Chris Wallace was there. They had this, it was easy to go along with this narrative that they have this news division and then they have some conservative programming at night. That's no longer the case. The channel has been morphed into this totally different monster and news organizations really should reflect that. And I have been baffled by why so many news organizations have been unable or unwilling to do this. Sarah, is there a counterargument? I mean, I think Oliver's point that you just can quote Suzanne Scott saying we need to respect the audience again and again when you're pointing out that Fox has created something that it is now chasing. You know, it's created a loyal audience that it now feels it has to pander to. I'm actually quite interested in how reality-based news organizations can effectively report on a place like Fox News and a person like Donald Trump. And I think that calling it a propaganda network, I, I think names and labels are sometimes not as effective as reporting like everybody did during the trial on what they were actually saying. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure saying it's propaganda is effective. I don't know who we're trying to convince, but I sort of still would like mm-hmm. to believe that we're trying to reach people that aren't already convinced of certain things. And, you know, and the evidence is there. I'm not disagreeing with what Oliver is saying. I'm just sort of, I, I don't think we've quite figured out how to cover. Um, we obviously haven't figured out how to cover Fox or Donald Trump effectively, but I'm not sure what the answer is. Can I say, I loved the piece you wrote earlier in the month uh, for the post about um, two different uh, folks in Georgia who were reading about the indictments, who were, you know, they were consuming completely different media covers, completely different views of the world. The, the headline was, in an Atlanta suburb, American realities collide over Trump's indictment. And that the, the story is an example of, go and talk to normal people who are living this, who are struggling with this like everybody else, right? And I would argue one of those, one of those individuals is much more reality-based. The other person lives much more in a fantasy land. But, but that is what we are facing. And you can, you can tell that story by talking to people who are living it every day. Yeah, and in that piece, I'm not really sure. Like, we didn't get to an answer about how the, those two realities were going to ever see eye to eye. And I'm not even sure that, that that's the goal. But yes, thank you for bringing that up. I was with the Trump supporter all day watching him watch Mark Levin and, you know, be enthralled to that voice. Um, there's a famous famous experiment, a psychological experiment, where you, if you point out to someone what's wrong about their opinion, they just dig in to their mm. belief. Now, we're not in the business of, I mean, we. I'd like to think that we as journalists are in the business of truth-telling and telling people what is true, and there is an actual factual reality. Um, and we've all thought about different ways to spoon-feed that to people. Um, but I haven't figured it out, and maybe Oliver has. Well, it reminds me of uh, the debate about whether you call a lie a lie back in, you remember when we were having that debate? We we spent years on this. Yeah. 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 And then everyone just kind of concluded that, yeah, if 
someone's lying, you should probably just say it's a lie. That, that, it's almost like that with, with Fox News to me. I mean, it's a right-wing channel. I don't really understand why that's controversial to say or why news organizations are unwilling to say that. You know, it, everyone's fine labeling Alex Jones a conspiracy theorist, but no matter how many conspiracy theories Sean Hannity floats, he gets just labeled as a host. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. So it is still early in this GOP primary process. Uh, if not Trump, who? We're going to talk about that, some of Sarah's new reporting, in just a moment. Hey, if you're a fan of the show, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a rating and a review on the podcast app of your choice. And while you're there, hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. And we're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter, speaking with Oliver Darcy of CNN and Sarah Ellison of The Washington Post. Uh, Sarah, you have a story out uh, just a few days ago titled, Rupert Murdoch encouraged Virginia's Glenn Youngkin to seek the presidency. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, Rupert Murdoch, 92 years old, sailing through the Mediterranean with a new gal pal, apparently trying to find alternatives to Donald Trump, huh? Yeah, I mean, Rupert has never liked Donald Trump. He's always looking for someone better. I do think it's true that he is ultimately a pragmatist of sorts. And Donald Trump has been bad for his business. Um, The settlement with Dominion was not good. Um, The coverage of the 2020 election was not good for Fox and not good for Murdoch. And he wants to find someone who's going to pull the Republican Party, of which he's a great supporter, out of that. And so he thinks somebody like Youngkin seems saner than Trump and doesn't have as much baggage. But in that same piece, and I think it's important to point out to to people, Rupert Burdock really encouraged Mike Bloomberg to get into the race in 2016. He thought a fellow billionaire would be a great president Um, and you know, but Mike Bloomberg seemed like a real billionaire as opposed to Donald Trump, who seems sort of like a fake billionaire, um, and tabloid fodder. Murdoch's instincts, political instincts aren't always that good, even though he's given this sort of omniscient power that, that, um, over the years people think, you know, what he says goes, but clearly Fox was trying to prop up 
Ron DeSantis um, for a while. Yeah, let's talk about that. The, okay. the Glenn Youngkin thing means that Rupert's, what, given up on DeSantis? Is that too strong? That is That would be beyond the reporting that I have. But clearly DeSantis hasn't taken off in the way that people thought he might. Again, it's very, very early. We we don't know what's coming. Well, I guess I see it both ways. Uh, it, it is so early. We are a year before the GOP convention. But Oliver, couldn't we also make the case that uh, <laughs> Trump has consolidated so much support? You know, we have not not seen a case like this before where somebody is this far ahead this early and then doesn't actually get the nomination. Yeah, it feels to me like he's the incumbent uh, running. And usually the incumbent uh, president doesn't lose the nomination. And that's sort of the feeling you get from from Trump. And given the support he has in right-wing media, it's very difficult to imagine that he doesn't just run away with this thing, even amid the indictments. I mean, you've seen that his support has increased as he's been indicted and time and time again. I think he really hit the nail on its head uh, actually way back in 2016 or 2015 when he said that he can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and, you know, people will still support him. His supporters will still come out and vote for him. That's what you're seeing, it seems like, right now. There's not much that can shake support, whether it's an insurrection or whether it's these indictments that show that he effectively tried to overthrow American democracy uh, back in uh, 2020. I guess there are just so many wild cards. The indictments are are four wild cards. Uh, having candidates up there on stage at debates, maybe bashing the frontrunner, maybe not. You know, that's a wild card. Uh, having Fox News not necessarily in Trump's corner the way he wants is a wild card. Did you see on Truth Social the other day, he posted saying uh, he was bashing Fox and Friends, his former favorite show. And he said, they purposely show the absolute worst pictures of me, especially the big orange one with my chin pulled way back. Uh, I don't know, Sarah. I, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Um, I mean, we could say thin skin. Um, He's literally referring to his skin. But but then he's saying, well, they're, they're showing the worst pictures of me, but then they want me to debate. You know, it's always just transactional for him. Absolutely. It's totally transactional. And I agree that Trump is way ahead. And at the same time, um, four indictments with possible trials it just feels, I mean, when people say, can you be president from prison? Um, these kinds of questions feel like there there could be some reality that catches up with Trump. Right. It's no wonder why Rupert Murdoch is calling Gun Yunkin then. Yes. There are people who sort of are sitting around in the Republican Party who understand that it is not good in a general election to have four indictments that get to the heart of not not all four, but at least two of them to the peaceful transfer of power, which is a central part of American democracy that we seem to tend to value. But yes, Trump is the does seem like he is going to be the Republican nominee. He is certainly the front runner by a long shot. And yet you have the 92 year old Rupert Murdoch sort of playing the field and hoping somebody, I mean, the idea that Glenn Youngkin could jump into the race at this point and make any difference is kind of laughable, but people are still trying to convince him. Can I just say something too about Trump's complaints about Fox news? I think it proves that he doesn't even view it as a news network. He views it as supposed to be a propaganda mouthpiece for himself. Um, Because, you know, complaining about the pictures they're using 
on the channel. That's that's not something that you would complain to a news network about. It's something you might like in North Korea. You know, the dictator might say they're using the wrong photos of me. They have to use only the approved photos. I mean, Trump himself knows what Fox News is, and it's in his eyes, it's definitely not a news network. Let's dig into that more uh, about the state of Fox News post Tucker Carlson. Quick break. More in a moment. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter, speaking with Sarah Ellison and Oliver Darcy. Oliver, I made some references to our past uh, life together at CNN. Uh, We worked for years together writing the Reliable Sources newsletter, uh, covering the media beat. Uh, It's been a year since I was canceled by CNN. You took over the newsletter. You're doing it all by yourself. I have to confess here, I like it better now. Uh, I I like the newsletter more uh, now that I'm not a part of it and I get to just read what you do every day. Uh, I'll buy your lonesome. But... uh, do you miss me? Of course. I, I, I mean, <laughs> one, it was Not nice to have someone helping write the newsletter with me. Oh, you like having know, a co-pilot. If, if anyone knows how much work <laughs> that thing is to assemble, it's you. Uh, you were crazy and did it six nights a week by yourself for I don't know how many years. but Until you came along. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I actually learn something from your newsletter every night. I really do. Um, because you, you survey the whole wide world of media. So I enjoy it as a reader now, not a writer. Well, you're being too kind. I do. What I do miss <laughs> is I also miss the show. Oh, um, and, I, and I thought it was uh, valuable to have a media a media show once a week to evaluate what's happened in this chaotic uh, and evolving information landscape. Well, I think you still do it on TV all the time, and I love watching. But you know, I watch a lot of Fox too. So let's let's get back to Fox. Let's talk about Fox News post Tucker Carlson, because that's the other. That's the other wild card here. That's the other dynamic that's at play. You know, there's the Trump factor we've talked about, the Trump alternatives, but then there's Fox without Tucker. And, you know, Sarah, you have a, a news story for The Post this week about you know, Tucker and Trump's alliance, Tucker on the outside, uh, being threatened with legal action by Fox. How would we describe the extent to which Fox has suffered by canceling him and how much has it bounced back since? I mean, Fox always likes to point out its ratings. And you saw that to a fault in the Dominion litigation. But clearly, Fox lost a lot of viewers after Tucker left, and they have sort of clawed their way back partially. They think of themselves as a machine that will keep going no matter who sits in the chair. You know, Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, Tucker Carlson, it sort of doesn't matter who's in the chair. They will always get their viewers. But But what Fox has done, even before Tucker left, was replace a lot of the people who used to work on their quote-unquote news side with people who are opinion people, 
all across the platform. And so they have adjusted to this new reality where people seemingly want to hear what they want to hear. And Fox is giving them what they want. And the five, the show, the five on Fox is sort of a talk show that is the most popular show on the network. And they're all opinion people. Um, They don't really have anyone exactly like Tucker who is as out there as he was, but they're trying. They're really trying. And Oliver, how would you describe the the replacement show, Jesse Waters Primetime? It was on at 7 p.m. Now it's been moved to 8. Uh, the ratings are softer than Tucker, but they've been climbing. They have been growing. The audience has slowly but surely been coming back. Not all of them, but many of Tucker's former viewers have come home to Fox. So how would you compare and contrast Jesse Waters and Tucker Carlson? Well, I think Tucker Carlson was unique in that he was a lot more sinister than most of the hosts on Fox. Uh, Jesse Waters is a much happier warrior, if you will. Uh, But I think if you're just looking at the ratings, it makes a lot of sense to put Waters in that spot because back when he was at 7 p.m., I was noticing that he was on many nights outrating Sean Hannity's uh, 9 p.m. show. And Sean Hannity's obviously been uh, really sort of the face of Fox News primetime for, you know, since its inception back in the 90s. And so for Jesse Waters, the newcomer to start outrating Sean Hannity at 7 p.m. really says a lot about how much the Fox audience uh, likes him. I I actually view Jesse Waters as sort of a cross-combo between Bill O'Reilly. He has a lot of Bill O'Reilly's uh, shtick on that show and Tucker Carlson. It's almost like the two, you know, somewhere in the middle of those two. Um, and it, it's clearly working for the Fox audience. Now, whether they can ever achieve those Tucker Carlson ratings is another thing, but it's certainly a lot better than a rotating cast of uh, hosts, which wasn't serving them well from a ratings perspective. I think it's really effective to kind of wrap some of this in quasi-comedy. All right, to the news. Trump's support enlarges after more bogus charges. You know, they have their late-night Greg Gutfeld comedy show. The support Trump is getting has Obama sweating. Yep, after another round of indictments for everything from obstructing proceedings to removing the tags from mattresses, (laughs) Trump's numbers just continued to rise. The more indictments and witch hunts, the greater his chances of winning the Republican nomination for president, a Grammy, an Oscar, and an Emmy, and ultimately the White House in 2024. I've done the math. If he gets indicted one more time, he'll be more popular than Barbie. But I think you can really get a lot through to people with the wrapping of a comedic kind of persona. And that's what Waters started as when he yep. was like the man on the street for Bill O'Reilly. And I think he can kind of get away with a lot more and Fox can get away with a lot more when they say, but we're just kidding. You know, you know how, I mean, you can, you deal with people like that in your own life sometimes when they say oh, yes. incredibly cutting and they're like, oh, I was just kidding. I mean, they, Fox can sort of feed people a lot of stuff through that sort of Jesse Waters, just joking persona, but can still kind of get get it across the line. And I think that's what sort of where he's succeeding. Yeah, because when is Greg Gutfeld ever serious? Isn't he always just kidding? He's always kidding. Oh, he he's no, always on kidding. The five, on the five, he gives impassioned speeches. Well, yeah. But, but it's so interesting at a time when a lot of us think democracy is under you know under threat uh when the stakes seem so high fox's reaction is like to push the comedy is to is to make a joke about it is to laugh and it's a pretty savvy business move um although i have 
concerns about the editorial. Uh, Sarah Allison, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Oliver, great to reconnect with you. Thanks for being here. It was a blast. That was Oliver Darcy of CNN and Sarah Ellison of The Washington Post. This episode was produced by Gianna Palmer. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. We had engineering assistance from Jake Loomis and mixing by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. You can tweet at me or find me on threads at Brian Stelter or send me an email. I'm at bstelter at gmail.com. And I love hearing your feedback about this episode and who you want to hear from on future episodes of Inside the Hive. We'll be back next week. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.